Welcome back to Early Departures. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. I'm Ashley. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, welcome back. We're here to tell you about vacation nightmares. Yeah. And I am going to go ahead and start today. Yeah, where are you taking me? Oh, I'm, I'm excited to take it to Egypt today. Uh, we haven't gone there yet in real life or on the podcast, so... I'm going to tell you about Yvonne, who is 48, and Michael Rennie, who is 49, and they're from Perth, Scotland, not Australia. (laughs) Learned that this week. Um, And they booked a holiday to Egypt through the now-defunct travel agency called Thomas Cook. Their booking included a hot air balloon tour with a company called Sky Cruise near the city of Luxor. I'm into hot air balloon rides, so are you going to ruin this for me? I mean, I've never been on a hot air balloon, but I really want to wanted to (laughs) so at 6 a.m on february 26 2013 yvonne and michael boarded an ultra magic n425 hot air balloon in east luxor along with 18 other passengers and the egyptian pilot this type of hot air balloon has a configuration where it's split into four quadrants each of which holds five passengers which is news to me because I always wanted to go on a hot air balloon, but I thought it would be just like you and me and the pilot or like my husband and I and the pilot and not you, me, 18 other people <laughs> being assholes behind me. <laughs> That's insane no. because I went on once and it was just like me, my mom, my brother and the pilot. Yeah, that's that is how in my brain it's supposed to be. So this thing must be huge. Yes. Uh, so all this time I've been romanticizing what a hot air balloon ride would be like. And I'm sure that you can still get that kind of tour, but I'm, I'm sure it just costs a lot of money because they have to make up for the price of 18 other passengers are missing out on. I don't know. I went I went in Arizona with my mom and my brother like how how long ago? And I was like. 14 yeah i mean and my mom was not rolling in the dough like single mom life like but think about the world that we live in today where it's like they try to pack you in as many people as possible get that money like airplanes even like come on yeah i'm gonna research uh, hot air balloon prices when we're done with this but sorry continue (laughs) yeah yeah no so they swept along the landscape of the city of Luxor, giving way to rural mud brick buildings and banana farms, taking in views of the Nile River, the ancient temples of Karnak and Hatshepsut, and the Valley of the Kings, which all sounds amazing, beautiful. You can imagine at six o'clock in the morning, the sun is just rising over this valley, like gorgeous. Sounds like a puzzle picture. That you'd be doing. <laughs> yes, it does. And I was such a nerd for Egyptian stuff when I was a kid, just like every other child in the 90s. So it was particularly like I would love to do a hot air balloon ride. But anyway, their trip lasted around 50 thrilling and incident-free minutes. As they began their descent and they got closer to the ground, the passengers began gathering up their belongings, putting away cameras, binoculars, that kind of thing. Oh, the deceit their <laughs> mind has created for them. <laughs> yeah, they were they were they had a false sense of security of we're about to land. Everything went f- swimmingly. So the balloon drifted closer and closer to the ground, and the passengers chatted about how amazing the flight was and about their next plans, maybe discussing where they were going to go for breakfast or where they would meet their drivers, all the usual stuff that you do at the end of a tour when you're just waiting for it to be over but can't actually leave yet. 
The captain lowered a drop line to the ground crew so they could start guiding them into the ground safely. Ten feet from the ground, a faulty gas hose connection caused a fuel line to burst. No. Uh-uh. With the sudden release of fuel, the balloon began to rapidly and powerfully ascend as the ground crew struggled to prevent the craft from rising back up into the sky. So now it's like on fire. They're struggling to hold the thing down. But, you know, the force of that fuel, you know, making so much more hot air Mm -mm. is like too much for the ground crew. But they're battling to try to keep it down. Is the basket on fire or is the uh, balloon on fire? Well, at the moment. Or is the fire just raging inside? Yes. At the moment, it's just a just a flame that's growing out of control from that broken gas hose. So according to the official incident report, the ground crew, quote, saw a flame originating from the forward section of the balloon, hitting the back of the balloon captain. The captain turned toward the flame and was hit with the flame on his face, (gasps) which is... (laughs) not what you want to see fire is so scary yeah you certainly as a passenger of that um hot air balloon you do not want to see like there's a fire and then oh the pilot's face is on fire Mm -hmm. Uh, the captain momen murad who sustained burns to 70 percent of his body was quote badly injured by the fire as a result he was not able to control the balloon or even to control himself and that was a quote from the official report Suffering from shock, the captain had crossed to the aft section of the basket where Michael Rennie was sitting and jumped overboard. A witness said the captain's arms and face were on fire, and the captain himself says that he had passed out while he was going overboard. What? So, kind of in a panic, as people do when they're on fire... He just ran as, you know, far away from the flame as he could, which... The flame was in the forward. He ran to the aft. And then he just went for it. He just jumped overboard. He didn't know how far up they were, if he would live, whatever. But he was not thinking with his right mind. How far up were they? Well, at that point, they were only about 20 feet up. So he just books it over the side. But he does say that he was, by the time he went over the basket side, he he claims he was passed out already. Which I believe it if your face is on fire. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty serious. 70% of your body is burned. That is nuts. Yeah. So now (laughs) you have a hot air balloon on fire with no captain because he has jumped out of it. Then, in what must have been just a terrifying moment of choice or just straight up survival instinct, Michael Rennie followed suit and jumped out after the captain. He said his life flashed before his eyes and he jumped from a height of about 20 feet. Michael's wife, Yvonne, did not follow him. (laughs) Amazingly. (laughs) Yeah, like, I I mean, I thought about that, and I was like, well, they're only 20 feet. I wonder if everyone else is going to start jumping out. I mean, you could probably definitely survive a 20-foot fall, I hope. But, oh, my God, could you imagine watching your your husband jump out? And you're like, wait, honey, I'm still here. But you know what, though? Like, honestly, 20 feet. It's like seven Danny DeVitos. (laughs) No, it's three. No, 20. It's four. It's four Danny DeVitos. So... He's short and all, but that's still quite a ways, 20 No, you're feet. right. It's taller than a ranch house roof. That's like, like a two-story a... house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's... So, I mean, I don't want to jump off the roof of a two-story house, but I think... Oh, I don't I... know if I'd want to jump either. I, I'd be upset that yeah. my husband jumped and left me. 
I mean, yeah. Till death do us part, honey, I'm out. I mean, I wonder if he even had time to be like, let's go and like try to get her to go. Or if he was like, gotta go, boom, like expecting that she would go after him also. Like, yeah, I think it probably all happened so quickly. And who knows what happens when like panic and fear is sudden, especially when you just saw the captain of your hot air balloon catch on fire and jump off. Yeah, that would be my biggest uh, concern would be, okay, well, now no matter what happens, there's no captain. I know that I can't like... steer or land a balloon as much as you know balloons can be steered so basically you're just screwed now no matter what happens uh unless the ground crew can just pull you down you know which obviously they are struggling to do already amazingly michael escaped with hardly a scratch on him and after falling to the ground he got up and ran around the area screaming my wife my wife and went to nearby houses in the village to find some help and the doctor's said he, like, legit did not hardly have a scratch on him. That if he didn't tell them that he had just jumped from 20 feet, they they would not have guessed. Like, he was completely fine. Uh, which is really sad for the other passengers who did not jump when it was only 20 feet off the ground. Uh, unfortunately, when the captain hit the ground, some members of the ground crew abandoned the drop line to try to go assist him and see if he was even still alive or not. <gasps> yes. So... The remaining ground crew, as you can imagine, was unable to hold the balloon down and eventually just let go of the rope because obviously at some point the the um, balloon is going to start picking them up off the ground, right? They're not enough weight anymore. This was insane. Yeah, it's just awful. According to the report, quote, the balloon continued climbing without control. The fire continued growing until the balloon envelope became like thin pieces of cloth, not capable of lifting the parts attached to it. There's a video. It's horrifying. And thin pieces of cloth is exactly what it looks like. It looks like Swiss cheese with just holes all over it, where it just was cloth was just like evaporating, basically. Six additional passengers jumped from the balloon as it rose above the sugarcane field. Unfortunately, the balloon was just too high by then, and none of them survived the fall. The remaining passengers were killed when the balloon ultimately exploded at 980 feet or 300 meters. 900 feet? Yeah, if you, I was thinking about it, like, if you consider the Cavalese cable car that I talked about a few episodes back, 300 meters was the height at which the pilots thought that they were allowed to go through the valley. And it was that height that they went below when they hit the cable. So 300 meters, if if the pilots of the cable car story had stayed at 300 meters, they would have been fine. They wouldn't have hit anything. So this balloon was that high up in the sky that oh. it was like <laughs> acceptable altitude for a plane, basically. That is bonkers. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just like... I'm like envisioning this. This is awful. I'm imagining myself being 900 feet in the air, like Wait looking down the at pictures. the speck of the ground and being like, I'm all the way up here, panicking Yeah, in a Swiss cheese air balloon. Yeah. I'm sure once it climbed up to a certain height, people were just like, there's nothing to do. Like, there's nothing you can do now. Like, it's too late. Yeah. I wonder if they even imagined it like exploding or just like, I guess I would have assumed it crashed to the ground, but... Wow. Yeah. That's terrifying. Tell me more. 
So, like I said, there's a video out there of the crash, and it was taken by somebody in another hot air balloon uh, that wasn't very far away from them, which I cannot even imagine. Like, imagine you're in another hot air balloon and you're seeing this happen. I would be like, land this shit immediately. Like, I have to get out and run away as far as I can from all hot air balloons for the rest of my life. At first, in the video, the balloon looks pretty normal, and then you can see smoke coming off of it. And just a little bit, though. And then it's just more and more smoke. And then the balloon parts just start disintegrating. And then the basket just kind of slips away from the rest of it. And on the video, you just hear what sounds like people crying and praying. It's a very sad thing to see. The captain was treated in a hospital. And when he was released, he was immediately taken into custody and was interrogated for 15 days by police. The captain alleged that it was the job of the maintenance engineer to check the hoses, not his. And he said it was just like a quick visual inspection was all that was required of him as far as that went. And that maintenance engineer should have fully, thoroughly inspected them. As of 2015, the victim's families were upset that two years had passed and there had been no trial yet. And after 2015, I actually couldn't find any further updates on what had happened in terms of trials or liability claims. Mm -hmm. And I do know that the company Sky Cruise was grounded at the time, and I couldn't find anything about them currently operating. So I believe they went out of business. However, it could be one of those things where, you know, they go out of business for a little bit of time and then they just change their name and relaunch um as somebody else <laughs> so i hope not but you know that does happen in spite of everything michael rennie said he is not in favor of a total ban on balloon tours in egypt quote if i walked in front of a bus tomorrow you could call for a ban on buses but that would be denying people a right to make a living life goes on on losing his wife yvonne he said quote yvonne was my rock my friend, my shoulder to cry on. She was my world. I am just like flabbergasted at this. Yeah. He did say, though, that he was like, he didn't think that all hot air balloons in Egypt should be banned. But after this happened, they started making people sign waivers. Um, and he was like, that's like kind of like a cop out of like, okay, you signed a waiver. Now you can't sue us. And now whatever. Um, when if things are just like a freak accident, that's one thing. But, you know, let's say you had a drunk hot air balloon pilot <laughs> or they were flying in bad right. weather or something like that. You should still be able to sue them. Right. Even yeah. if you sign a waiver, you the company should still be accountable for following safety guidelines. Yeah. And operating in the best interest of their passengers. Yeah. So he just wants to make sure it's not like a blank check for them to just get away with everything, basically. Right. According to an Associated Press article that I read, experts believe that this incident was the worst in the 200-year history of ballooning. And I thought it was pretty crazy because we all know of the 1937 Hindenburg crash, which had 36 fatalities. Like, we learn about that shit in school and everything. And the Luxor crash had 19 deaths, which is, like, more than half and obviously, like, way more recent and I absolutely had never heard of it until I started researching this episode. So that's just wild to me. I'm like, this is a major incident. Yeah. I mean, had you ever heard of this? No, I had not. I was just like racking my brain if I had. Yeah. But I'm also wondering if that's kind of... Did you... You mentioned you didn't find any articles after 2000... 
2005 or 15? 2015, yeah. So are there like are there just no articles about the civil lawsuits, criminal charges, or are there just yeah no no articles about any kind of trial okay. or charges or settlements or anything like you know you expect to see even in like the duck boat episode that we had they had at some point even though the trial was still going on they noted that the company had settled with multiple passengers families in this one there's no mention of settlements no you know like who's going to jail <laughs> anything nothing was there much for like follow up reporting um there there was up through 2016 i believe okay. so i mean it's not i mean it was 5 years ago but it's not that long ago yeah well wait it was 7 years ago that it happened oh wow i'm <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Nobody knows what year it is, well, day, month. Who cares? Who knows? Uh, that's okay. My brain still thinks like 1998 was two years ago. So I mean, wasn't it? It was. So the uh, travel agency, Thomas Cook, who used to book balloon tours exclusively through Sky Cruise, chose to stop offering balloon tours with their packages altogether and removed all references and images of balloons from all their brochures after the incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess a lot of other companies did as well, because it was not just this incident. There was a long fucking list of these incidents all happening in Luxor, in hot air balloons. So I will tell you briefly about all of them. Cool. I guess this one was like the uh, straw that broke the camel's back sort of situation. Yeah. All the other ones were like the tip of the iceberg and this is like the 80% of the iceberg that was under it. Yes. This big fuck up. Which is crazy because just like this one that happened in 2013, I had not heard of any of these other ones either. So in 2007, a balloon crash landed in a field injuring eight tourists. In February 2008, three balloons carrying 60 tourists crashed on the same day, injuring several passengers, which is wild. It's crazy to have one balloon crash, to have three all on the same day in the same city is nuts. That's nuts. Yeah. Uh, like 60 people, six zero people <laughs> were affected by a balloon crash that one day. Like, that's fucking crazy. It's got to be some kind of record, I'm sure. How are they even operating after that happens? Yeah, and then... Ceased operation <sighs> in this area. You guys are not allowed to operate higher balloons. Yeah, and two months later, in April 2008, another balloon crash landed and injured seven passengers. In April 2009, so one year later... 13 people were injured when their balloon hit a mobile phone tower in Luxor. The pilot had reportedly taken off in bad weather and without permission. <laughs> so, not not looking great so far. In October 2011, a Sky Cruise balloon, so same company as the one in 2013, plunged into the Nile River. The passengers had to be rescued after the craft fell into the river and then hit a boat and ended up floating down the river. Luckily, in that instance, no one was killed. There's a video of that one, and it's crazy. It's like, it's from a passenger within the hot air balloon basket, and they film the whole thing of like, oh, it's fun, it's happy, and they put like this happy music behind it. They're looking at all the sights, it's all great. And then suddenly you see like the person is focusing on the pilot, and you're like, why are they filming him and not the scenery? And then all of a sudden you see the pilot grab up on this bar 
And then you see that the, the basket's getting closer and closer to the water, and you realize that the pilot is brazing himself because they're about to hit the water. He's grabbing the hot air balloon oh shit handle. Yes. And they hit the water, and it's amazing that they just, like, slide into the water and that they don't capsize, they don't fall over. No one is, like, jolted out of the basket. Like, it's crazy. And I think if you just were to look on YouTube, like, 2011 Luxor hot air balloon, you'd probably find it. I just want to know who's traveling to this area and researching, oh, let's go on a hot air balloon ride and not seeing all these incidents. Were they, like, hiding him? Look, I'm the type of person who, like, I make spreadsheets, right, of, like gotta plan everything um other people are like oh i don't like to plan anything i just show up and do stuff and i'm like yeah that's cool but also you might not know (laughs) if you don't if you don't do any research you might not know that it's very unsafe to uh take a hot air balloon in luxor apparently so do a little planning people (laughs) just a little even if you don't commit buy the tickets ahead of time even if you don't book it just do some research um you know because if you were going to egypt and you were like oh i want to go on a hot air balloon ride i bet if you if you googled hot air balloon egypt all these stories would come up and you'd be like what (laughs) maybe not maybe we'll do a river cruise instead down the nile who knows (laughs) what's wrong with those (laughs) maybe we'll find out someday (laughs) Anyway, to continue, because there is more, in 2016, now we've passed the 2013 crash. In 2016, 22 Chinese tourists were injured when their balloon had to make an emergency landing in some just random village, which is probably interesting for them and the village. (laughs) And in 2018, strong winds and sandstorms caused another balloon to drift and make a hard landing with 20 passengers aboard, leaving one South African tourist dead and 12 injured. So they just having all kinds of problems with hot air balloons in Luxor. According to an article from The Telegraph, quote, Fingers have pointed at falling safety standards in the wake of the Egyptian revolution of 2011 and various terror attacks in the country. These have seen tourist numbers plunge and amid economic pressure and declining revenues may have caused standards to slip. Mohammed Osman, the head of the Chamber of Tourism in Luxor, blames the Egyptian civil aviation authorities and told The Guardian, quote, I don't want to blame the revolution for everything, but the laxness started with the revolution. These people are not doing their job, they're not checking the balloons, and they're just issuing licenses without inspection. Tharwat Agmi, a chairman of the Chamber of Tourism, said, quote, Several balloon companies have terminated contracts with local meteorological services after the Egyptian revolution. So great. Yeah. Meaning that with less regulation because of the revolution, now they're more likely to fly and take off in bad weather. Are they just like licking their finger and putting it into the wind and saying, oh, clear day, let's go. Yeah. So while the two blame a lot on the revolution of 2011, I think it's also worth remembering that there were so many other incidents prior to any kind of transitional government. You can't really blame it all on that when stuff was happening all the way back in 2007. Mm -hmm. Uh, As of January 2018, according to Wikipedia, there are eight balloon operators in Luxor and a combined total of 32 hot air balloons. I'm not a balloon expert or anything, but I think 32 hot air balloons total doesn't seem like a ridiculous amount of crafts to have to inspect, like maybe on a yearly basis, you know, like very thoroughly. Uh, And however many pilots 
they have to have to fly 32 balloons probably isn't that many pilots to have to keep track of their training and their safety records. Yeah, it's like less than three a month. Yeah, it's, it's it doesn't seem like it'd be that big of a deal to have that department have their shit in order, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Following the... 2018 balloon disaster, Brett Meltzer, who co-owns a hot air ballooning operation in Myanmar, said that pricing really matters when you're looking for a safe ballooning outfit. Just like we said back in our first episode that $14 is not enough money for a safe parasailing experience, Brett said, quote, with adventure activities, you get what you pay for. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Done properly, ballooning is not a cheap activity. A global benchmark is around 150 to 300 pounds. So, listeners, who knows what prices will be like, you know, after the pandemic's over, because they could go way up or way down. But if you get a really good deal to go ballooning somewhere for like $20, just pass on that shit. Way top dollar. Yeah, this whole up, this whole story is kind of reminding me of the zip lining stuff, because I remember... When I talked about, too, I was like, oh, but there's this. I remember the ladies being slammed into the side of a, a bridge and someone else being landed inside of a building and being thrown into the water. Like, yeah, gosh. And just like with ziplining, like with ziplining, you do have places where you ha- you constantly have stories come up of tourists being injured, whereas you have other places where it never happens. And hot air ballooning, it's happening over and over and over again in Luxor to an insane degree. Where I'm sure somewhere like, I don't know. So Albuquerque, New Mexico does the balloon fiesta every year. And hundreds and hundreds of balloons go up. I don't think I've ever heard of an accident there. (laughs) Yeah, because then they probably would stop doing it all the time. (laughs) If it was like, you know, well known that it was super dangerous to do it in that spot. This is a PSA. Do not ride hot air balloons in Luxor. Yeah. Oh, by the way. I did look up on Viator to see what hot air balloon situations in Luxor right now are like. And I saw a lot of balloon tours in Luxor for around $120 to $130 per person. But I also saw a lot that were as low as $60. Yeah, no. Others were included as part of bigger packages that included boating or city tours. So who knows how much the balloon operator is actually charging within that package. But none of it seemed to be enough because it would be wild packages like four days with like a, you know, a river cruise and a city tour and a hot air balloon and all this stuff for like $300. And I'm like, nope, that is not enough for anything anywhere. That's insane. So yeah, moral of the story, (laughs) get what you pay for. Purchase your hot air balloons separately. Investigate them. Yeah. And try to find one that's not 20 passengers, because that's insane. I'm so glad I had the experience I did. Yeah, seriously. And, you know, I feel like after this, I don't know that I would ever want to go on a hot air balloon. Um, You know this, but the listeners don't, except for my mom and your mom. <laughs> um, My husband is a pilot, and he says that he would never, ever, 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 ever go on a hot air balloon. And he obviously doesn't have a fear of being up in the air in any kind of aircraft, but says that they are way too dangerous and unpredictable. And I just feel like that's probably probably true. So good thing you had your experience in uh, Albuquerque there, because we're probably never going to do that as part of one of our trips. (laughs) 
We'll never do that as a pair, as a couple. Yeah. You know, and I always wanted to go on one where it was like hot air balloon over the Serengeti during the Great Migration. Like that shit sounds amazing. But I also don't want to explode in the sky (laughs) a thousand feet in the air or crash. Crash landing happens a lot. Like you'd be shocked. Like even when people aren't injured or they're just like barely injured crash landings just happen so often and i just never want to be a part of that (laughs) it's not for me i'll mark that one off the list that you will not do with me but i'll still probably ask you depending where we are in the world (laughs) yeah and i'll say how much does it cost and let me google (laughs) let me just put in the place and hot air balloon and see if i get any hits yeah (laughs) if i don't maybe again do your research yeah do your research Like she said, you don't have to buy your tickets ahead of time and be scheduled up to your eyeballs, but you should Google some stuff before you go. Don't just show up and go, oh, yeah, hot air balloons. Those sound fun. Nope. Anyway, that's it for me. So take me somewhere, maybe maybe on the ground. I don't know. I'm going to take you on the ground. Scary, but way less terrifying than seeing your balloon captain catch on fire and jump out and then being in a balloon that explodes 900 feet over the ground like i think i'm gonna have nightmares tonight yeah i would I would like to hear any story that does not include somebody's face being on fire right now i can assure you there's no fire in this story <laughs> so um we're going to nepal Oh, all right. In December of 1991, James Scott, a 22-year-old medical student from Brisbane, Australia, had come to Nepal to work at a local hospital as part of his international medical studies. Mm -hmm. Um, He also traveled there with his friend Tim Hooper, who was also in medical school. Cool. Before starting work, um, him and Tim decided to take some hikes around the area. Mm -hmm. On the first hike they took, they hired two porters, a guide, they brought snow boots, jackets, thermal clothes they were like decked out Mm -hmm. super prepared but as they were passing other hikers they noticed they were carrying a lot less gear was dressed a lot more conservative kind of just like long sleeve hiking pants i mean Mm -hmm. they had maxed out on gear so after completing the trek they felt like they had totally gone overboard and wasted a ton of money Mm -hmm. on the gear because some of the gear they actually rented like the jackets Uh and stuff so a couple days later on december 18th they decided to start another hike This one, they decided they were going to pack a little bit lighter, and especially because there was lodges along the way where you would kind of, you didn't need to pack food because you'd sleep overnight at the lodge, they'd have stuff. So Uh they ditched the extra gear and didn't hire a guy and went out on their own. Mm. On day two of the hike at one of the lodges, James and Tim met a group of German hikers who suggested they try another trail, one that offered better views. Mm. The German said, you could sit all day at this lodge and see more than you'll see on that trail you're about to take. They were roughly at about (laughs) 3,000. They were roughly at about like 3,000 meters. And the trail they suggested went about 4,600 meters. Around this time, they also met another hiker from Australia who was hiking alone, Mark Fulton. The group decided to try the higher route, the one that the Germans had suggested. Mm -hmm. At this point, Tim's knees start to hurt, and he feels like he needs to turn around. Mm. He told James he wanted him to continue and that they'd meet back on town on December 25th at their favorite restaurant. Um, It's always like splitting up and then like, oh, a holiday. (laughs) It's a a formula for bad times. They split up. James gives Tim the map and says, head back to town. And Mark says he can see it in James's eyes. He, like, really wants to continue. So he's like, no, go ahead, go ahead. Like, you want to do this, not a big deal. I'll just head back down. So 
James gives Tim the map to return back to town, and James and Mark carry on. As James and his new trekking partner continue on, they awake at a tea house and they see that it has snowed lightly from the night before. Uh Uh-oh. James mentions that he starts to feel anxious at this point. He doesn't know if it's because of the higher elevation or or what, but he kind of starts to feel anxious. He's like looking for an excuse to not carry on. I also wonder if it's because like his friend has now gone. Like I'm sure if you and I were hiking and we separated, I'd feel a little bit differently continue on. So like maybe now that's like the next day, He's like, oh, I don't know if this was a good idea. Yeah, and like if it snowed, you know I'd be anxious as hell. Yeah. <laughs> the two things that don't belong together to me is hiking and snow. <laughs> my nightmare. I know I say that all the time. <laughs> everything's my nightmare. I was like, everything's your nightmare. <laughs> anyway. Ashley's existence is her nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so James and Mark continue to hike up the trail, and it's starting to get steeper, and the sky is starting to get darker, and the snow starts to really fall. Mm-hmm. The pair have a discussion on what to do, and James is like, I'm going to head back down. I feel like this, we shouldn't continue. And Mark was like, I'm going to hike up until one o'clock, and if it gets worse, like, I'll just turn back. And they say they have an amicable discussion, and mm-hmm. they, they separate. So with snow falling fast, James lost his footsteps in the snow and becomes disoriented on where the trail oh, was back down. God. It's at this point that James realized he made two decisions he regrets. He gave Tim the map in order to find his way home, and Tim took the only lighter. Oh. For four hours, he weaves on and off what what he thought were trails. Oh, no. He attempted to follow a creek in hopes that it would lead him back down to the village, but the snow just deepened, and the creek just led to a waterfall. Oh, my God. James discovered that he could not continue because of the increasing steepness of the terrain. He was surrounded by deep, sheer-sided gullies, which was riddled with rushing water and other cliffs. So, at this point, James had walked himself into a corner he couldn't continue downwards and he really couldn't retreat back the way he had come Mm. he was reduced to seeking shelter under a large rock overhang which was dry and would hopefully protect him from the wind and the other elements Mm -hmm. all he had in his rucksack was a spare tracksuit, a sweatshirt a few changes of t-shirts underwear and socks a sleeping bag a towel two chocolate books and two chocolate books (laughs) good thing you brought those whole books of chocolate oh he had two chocolate bars and four books. The Silence of the Lambs, Great Expectation, The Lonely Planet Guide to Nepal, and A Guide to Trekking in Nepal. Okay. Back in Kathmandu, when James failed to meet up with Tim as planned, Tim sent a fax to James's father and told him that James was missing. Mm. James's sister, Joanne, decided she must go to Nepal to search for her brother. The odds were not good that he would survive out there. Before she left Australia, she contacted the president of the Himalayan Research Association in Kathmandu. He recommended that she reach out to a fellow Aussie, a man named Carl Harrison, who was an experienced mountaineer who was also living in Kathmandu. Hmm. On December 30th, Carl Harrison led the first search party out to search for James. On January 3rd, Joanne obtained a visa for Nepal and left on January 7th. By this time, James had been missing for 16 days. Jesus Christ. I was going to say at that point, the, the one guy on the 30th, that was I was like, wow, five days already. 16. That's awful. 
Yeah. He's been gone for 16 days. Oh. We're going to fast forward to January 27th. Mm. Carl Harrison returned from one of his trips, and he said they've done all that they could to find him. And he said it wasn't worth trying anymore because winter was building, and it was better to wait till spring. Oh, gosh. At this point, pretty much, they weren't even looking for him anymore. They're just looking for his body. Yeah. Uh, his sister Joanna just could not accept this as an answer and begged Carl to go out one more time. And oh. at this point, they had enlisted rescue teams on the ground and all also helicopters. Mm -hmm. On February 2nd, 1992, Carl and the rescue team made one final attempt over the hills to search for James's body. They spotted a blue fabric amongst the hills. Mm. Later that night, two Nepalese men approached the area where they spotted the blue fabric and inside of a cave, they find that James is there, alive. Oh my god. So this guy spent 43 days oh, sitting no way in like a rocky ledge area waiting to be rescued with nothing but four chocolate books <laughs> four <laughs> chocolate books um so i almost mentioned this earlier but i like didn't want to give away that he survived him and his sister wrote a book about this whole ordeal uh-huh i couldn't find it anywhere i mean i found it on amazon but it wouldn't get here in time and i was too impatient to tell the story yeah <laughs> uh and since this happened in 1992 it was like pretty limited to find information i found yeah. like two pages out of a reader's digest and mm. some one-off like hiking magazine from australia <sighs> so in one of the articles it mentions that his sister went to a buddhist lama and said like where is my brother how do i find him uh -huh. and the article said that the lama said you will see your brother again and pointed on the map of where he was and mm. all of the locals were like no there's no way he's there there's no trails there mm. um but i only saw one reference of it and i didn't have anything to really back it up so i don't want to put too much weight on that on the search yeah but like ooh, creepy if true i know um, and maybe if I, when I finally get the book, I'll really know. Yeah. Or go read the book and get more details. Yeah. But everyone did say that, like, Joanne's persistent for finding her brother was, like, really helped draw attention to it. Like, she was really involved, yeah. like, organizing search parties, alerting governments, drawing attention to it. So without her brother, mm. without her... The persistence for searching for him may not have continued. Yeah. James was airlifted from a helicopter early the next day after surviving a record 43 days in the freezing conditions. Oh. When the Nepalese men came and found him, they said, are you James Scott? Are you from Australia? And he said, yes, yes. And they said, oh, you must be God. And he said, no. And they said, well, no one has ever survived up here longer than 10 days. Oh, my God. Oh, and he didn't even have a lighter or any, like, hardcore, you know, winter gear. Mm -mm. James, who had been given up for dead, lost a third of his body weight, mm. suffered from dehydration and malnutrition. But surprisingly, he didn't have any signs of hypothermia. Wow. For the last seven weeks, he survived on a combination of his medical training and a positive mindset. He did have a few factors working in his favor. He was young. He was fit. And with a mental discipline that he learned through years of karate, he, he knew exactly what he needed to do to get through the situation mm. the best that he could. I got to take karate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was also in his senior year of medical school, which gave him the basic knowledge of how to manage his psychological as well as physical needs. Sure. So, for example, to pace his rehydration, he would read two pages of his book between each mouthful of snow. Mm. Anything more, he knew anything more than that would induce vomiting and cramping mm. and that it would just make his situation worse. Wow. You know, he knew that body heat was lost through his head, so he used all of his spare clothing to wrap himself around his head to mm. keep the heat in. Okay, take, I'm taking notes for later. <laughs> yeah. 
He was actually studied from some kind of medical journal about people like this who do survive these like epic situations of being stranded. Uh-huh. And a lot of people say like, there's not one physical attribute. It's really goes back to like your will to live. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. And again, he knew that he needed to keep his mind busy. So he had a pen, so he would write letters to his fiance. Hmm. Um, he read the four books he had with him. He said he read Great Expectations six times. Oh, my God. He also would like... I mean, that is lucky that he had books because you would just go insane if you just had nothing to do and no one to talk to. Yeah. And then he would like... He would think about his karate moves and think about, like, just try to memorize them and interact with them in his head. He said he would envision things happening on the mountains, fires, plane crashes, like, going to Mm. his engagement party and just, like, anything to keep his mind active. Yeah. He also said he made a few attempts to climb out of the area, but it was always met with disappointment. Snow was too high. The ledges were too high or too steep. So... Every time he thought he could get out, he kind of always had to retreat back to his ledge. Yeah. I'm I'm sure at some point he was just like so weak that he couldn't even try. Yeah. On day 30, he started to hear the helicopters and would run out from under the rock, but was never spotted. God, that's heartbreaking. So when they saw that blue material, it was actually him waving his sleeping bag. Oh, wow. Huh. So they finally did trying see to get him. the attention. He thought they didn't yeah. see him. He he sometimes said he felt like he was looking directly into the helicopter, and then they would just mm-hmm. carry on. God. On day forty, James mentions that he tries to walk out of the camp, and he just like I I got to get out of here. He only managed a hundred meters in two hours before falling down and starting to retch and vomit. Oh my god! And that was dangerous because that would just already like increase the malnutrition and dehydration that he was suffering from. Yeah. At this point, he even said he contemplated suicide. Mm. He thought that he could stop drinking the water and he would know he would die within three days. Oh, um, he also talked about cutting open the vein in his elbow to ensure to try mm-hmm. to kill himself but he didn't want his if he was found he didn't want him his family to see him go like that so he decided to go the route yeah of just dehydration oh however horrible. that night he had the most vivid dreams of his life back at home and he said he regretted having suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. and that was the same day that the helicopter finally spotted him oh gosh That is wild. So he said there's nothing in the book. I found some clips of the book that I pulled from here from some blogs and other details. And Mm -hmm. he said there's nothing extraordinary about me. Before this terrible event occurred, I would not have believed for a moment that I was capable of overcoming such an impossible odd. The lesson I've learned was simplistically as it might sound is that no difficulty is impossible to overcome. He married the woman he was engaged to at the time of this. Uh, he now works in mental health oh. in Brisbane, um, and he still suffers from the effects of the ordeal, so he gets double vision. He wanted to be a surgeon, oh. but due to the injuries he sustained, he wasn't able to do it. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like he'd be good with mental health, though. Like, <laughs> he'd just be like, I'll, I'll tell you all my, my mental tricks to make yourself better. Yeah, it's nuts. So, like I said, he does have a book that him and his sister co-wrote. It was pretty spotty finding it at libraries or Amazon. Mm-hmm. I had to use the Wayback Machine on the internet to even oh, wow. find articles because a lot of them just ended to dead links. I mean, this was like 1991 and 1992, you know? Yeah. Wasn't much on the internet back then. Yeah. So, crazy, crazy story. Yeah. God, I swear, every time a group splits up, something bad's about to happen. I know. And I feel like it's a good reminder for me, like what he said. It's like, it's just a mental thing because I, I feel like I'd be like mentally weak. I'd be crying. Oh, yeah. I go to pieces immediately. Yeah. It's it's so scary to me. Any kind of hiking 
and especially in places where it does snow, it's so scary just because it can completely cover all of the trail markers, all of the trails. Even if he had the map, he could navigate by like directions, but you still wouldn't be able to see the the actual trail if it got too snowy. Obviously, I'm not a fan of winter. I'm not a fan of winter hiking of any kind. But I have looked at hiking in Nepal, and um, that was something I really wanted to do for a while. And I recently, I think it was this year maybe, that some South Koreans went missing. And, like, it brought up a whole thing of how many people go missing on the, I think it's called the Annapurna mm-hmm. circuit. Mm-hmm. And so many people go missing just because... A lot of them don't think they need a guide, so they go without a guide. And then, just like that, a lot of random snow just comes out of nowhere, and they're unprepared for it. And um, I read one article that was talking about, like, we don't even know if they're all going missing just because they get off the trail and, you know, freeze to death, or are they being murdered? (laughs) You know, like, are they being abducted? Nobody knows, because hiking people just go missing all the time so they assume if it snowed and then suddenly these people didn't come back that oh it's because they got off track yeah it's like it's like the wilderness can like swallow you up and no one knows um but that's actually how i found the story because i was actually reading another one about a female hiker who went missing Mm -hmm. and i feel like that one deserves a lot more research than i had time for so i ended up doing this story about james yeah but in that research there were several other stories of hikers and backpackers who yeah just went missing and to your point they didn't know if they just lost their way fell down a ravine yeah attacked by an animal or like you said something malicious happened to them yeah happens all the time it's crazy yeah i mean and that's the thing is like i love hiking like it's one of my favorite things but i do get freaked out when i think about how many people (laughs) just fall off cliffs You know, not even anything nefarious. They just fall off a cliff or they just, you know, get lost. And it's that's uh, hiking is definitely the most dangerous pursuit I have of of everything in my life. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. I, you know, that's my limit. (laughs) So uh, hopefully I'll never get too paranoid that I stop doing it. But yeah. Nah, you won't. I hope not. Nah. Be careful hiking and research at least a little bit when you go somewhere. Just Google whatever trail and missing or whatever trail and dead. See what comes up. Yeah. And even if you don't think you need a guide, get a guide. Yeah. They'll be able to tell you about all the flora and the fauna and all the history. Like, Yeah. It's fun having a guide. Even if you don't think you get lost, they can give you a great cultural experience along with it. Yeah. You can learn all kinds of stuff. Um, certainly never feel like you're not a good hiker if you have to get a guide because I love to get a guide and I will pretend that I'm a great hiker. So (laughs) you'll be in good company. But yeah, tons of stuff happens while hiking Nepal. I'm sure we'll have more stories about it because I swear every time I'm like, oh, I'm never going to be able to find a new story. And then I all of a sudden I like (laughs) find five and I'm like blown away that I was going to say, and then you remember that like horrible things happen all over the world every day. I know. I know. When people are just trying to go on vacation. Yeah. So if you've gone hiking in Nepal and you want to tell us about it, we'd love to hear about it. Or if you've had any kind of like, if you've been hiking and you got off the trail by accident and like 
it scared the crap out of you or you had to survive for a couple nights by yourself. Or got separated from friends. Tell us. Yeah. Tell us all about that. And for sure, if you have been on a hot air balloon and anything happened, crash landings, water landings like that one, or if you had a perfectly wonderful ballooning experience, email us about that too at earlydeparturespodcast at gmail.com or get us at Instagram at early departures podcast. I think that's it for us. Yeah, that's it till next week. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see you or you'll hear us next Monday. And until then, be safe and depart on time.